and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. This week, I'm talking to Rachel Repper, who led the COVID-19 response for the NHS supply chain. She was responsible for ensuring that hospitals had the right equipment to deal with the COVID-19 crisis. People's lives literally depended on her decision-making. Rachel talks about the challenges of leading in a crisis, the learning curve of working with a new and expanded team, and how having a shared purpose generated focus and commitment. She's frank about her limitations as a leader and aware that others can do things better than she can. I think that's such an enlightened and important important awareness to have, especially when she was right at the sharp end of getting equipment out to the NHS at the heart of the COVID-19 crisis. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining me today. Lovely to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? So my name's Rachel Repper. I have a history working in both sales, procurement and trading, particularly in NHS supply chain which is a pseudo government body uh, that provides logistics and procurement services specifically to NHS Trust, but also to the wider NHS. I worked full time for them since 2005. And then in, gosh, 2016, I took a career break to go traveling around the world and after seven months came back and have been working as a consultant on and off for them since then. So I have a, I have a sales business development, but also a commercial and procurement background. Right. So quite a wide range. And then, well, there's loads of questions I I want to ask around that as well, but um, in terms of the last six months, can you tell us a bit more about what you've been doing? Because I know you've been heavily involved in um, in the COVID-19 pandemic, haven't you? I have indeed. I was, I was due to finish my contract with NHS Supply Chain at the end of March this year. <laughs> and um, round about the 3rd of March this year, it became apparent that they wanted me to stay on because COVID was starting to hit. And I actually ended up Uh, managing what's called the special projects, uh, one of which was the COVID response for NHS supply chain. So I've been working on the COVID response. Uh, I've also been working on the end of transition, which is uh, looking forward to us leaving Europe and what that means for NHS supply chain and NHS trusts. Uh, and the continuous supply of goods. And I'm also doing work at the moment on the vaccine programme, specifically around the supply of consumables to support the administration of vaccines for all of the vaccine centres that are going to be stood up when we finally have the vaccine. Wow, so I want to ask you what you do in your spare time, but I don't suppose there's a <laughs> lot of spare time in that. But I mean, the, in terms of NHS supply chain during the last 
six months as, as a result of the pandemic, that must have thrown up some massive challenges. What, what, and I don't particularly want to get into the, the logistics of those or the detail of those. I'm more, I'm more interested in how have you as a leader embraced those challenges? Well, what we do at NHS Supply Chain um, essentially is a bit like running um, Tesco's or Asda or one of the big supermarkets. You've got quite a high level of products that you are managing. Uh, You are dealing with the inbound supply of product, the procuring of those products, the inbound supply, the storage, and then the fulfilling of orders that are coming in from customers. And uh, with it being a complex business, there is uh, legal governance, there is uh, the operations of the warehousing, the trucks and the sheds, there's the procurement component, there is responding to customer requirements, communicating with customers, and also a very heavy amount of stakeholder management. So really what I was seeking to do as a leader in that situation was engage all of the functions that do those activities in a very deep way uh, because we were having to respond very quickly to not only a national crisis but a national crisis that was occurring in a global backdrop so america france germany china all of these other countries were requiring the same products uh, to deal with the same pandemic uh, and So we had to get very organized and very creative about how we would respond to both the challenge of a very high level of demand coming in from customers, whilst at the same time being in a time of global supply constraint, because everybody was competing for the same products. So it was about bringing together the right people for us to be able to both understand the problem and problems, plural, so supply and demand, um, and find a way in which to manage those very complex problems across the business. And with and with a huge amount of different stakeholders at a at a time of enormous public scrutiny, um, and when emotions are running extremely high on, you know, I don't think there's a person on the planet that hasn't been touched in some way by the emotional fallout of of what's been happening how do you how do you stay grounded in you know under pressure well i think ultimately we're fortunate that we we work in a business where it's all about the patient so when things are really tough and it was phenomenally tough and it was phenomenally tough for heads of procurements in trusts uh, clinicians um, but when things are really tough you know ultimately what's the purpose for which you are working and it was ultimately about getting those tracheostomy tubes to the hospitals where there were patients on ventilators uh, who were fighting for survival so you know what 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 really grounds you is that you're doing something that for patients is phenomenally important and you are part of a supply chain and it's about understanding that your customers are very very close to that so you know the procurement teams are working in trusts to support the clinicians who are uh, looking after these patients so 
you know, it's it's about being able to understand the emotion that might be coming from your customers, um, you know, some of the challenges that they're facing and how you can help them in the difficulties that they're facing. So I think that's what really keeps us focused and motivated across the business. And I can't fault the work ethic of everybody in NHS supply chain and in hospital trusts, you know, across the board, you know, people were literally um, having conference calls from five o'clock in the morning through to midnight. And it was seven days a week mm. uh, for quite a sustained period of time. Um, and, and I'd say of all government agencies, there was an intense commitment from people uh, to make sure that we could be as successful for the healthcare sector as possible. Do you think that having that common sense of purpose makes it easier to, to get a level of commitment and, and to get everybody heading in the right direction? Because one of, one of the things that I find with, with teams and teamwork is that there's nearly always somebody heading off in a different direction. I, it, was it the sense of purpose that got everybody focused in one direction or, or was there something else? I think it is the sense of purpose and I, I think you touch on an interesting point there because when you have a time of crisis and particularly at the scale that uh, the Covid surge one was and, and what was being seen in terms of hospital admissions, in terms of the requirements for um, equipment, uh, PPE, the, um, the challenge of supply in some areas you got a lot of additional headcount being brought in from outside into multiple agencies and those people weren't necessarily up the learning curve mm -hmm. um, you often ended up with maybe more actors on the stage than you needed to have so you, you, your challenge doubles from what you actually start with with we need to have product it needs to get to a place um, to navigating uh, ideas and concepts and, and ways that people want to do things that they may not actually be familiar with the best way to do it. Mm. So, so I think we had the initial problem question of we need to get product and we need to get it to a certain place. Um, and then we had the additional layering of uh, additional um, agencies coming in to participate with you know absolutely best and right intent um, but not necessarily being able to help that process at the start so um, yeah it was a it was a really interesting time but what I can say is consistently that everybody who who engaged in the COVID response whether they were part of NHS supply chain or outside they were unified by the right intent and you know, we were massively supported by the army and the mod came in and supported um and and i think everybody learned from everybody i certainly learned from my interactions with the mod with whom i was hugely impressed mm. um i was probably quite skeptical when they first started to assist in the program um but i think that did trigger for me when you're in an organization if you can get exposure to other organizations and other ways of doing things um sometimes there isn't stuff to learn but yeah often there is so i think that was quite a rich experience for us all 
Mm. So what, what were the key learnings for you? I mean, I think, you know, I've been asking lots of people this question because I've, I've certainly learned in the last six months in, in running my own business. What have been the key learnings for you? Um, <laughs> the key learnings, uh, one of them is about, well, well, certainly what I learned was what the loss of downtime brought. So, um, because we were working seven days a week and we were working you know, some, from five o'clock in the morning till midnight, um, you, you get close to burnout mm. and people around you get close to burnout. And, and there were certainly people who I was very conscious about their well-being that I was saying to them, you need to log off, you need to stop for a bit. And I certainly can reflect back and say, I think some of my decision making and at times some of the emotion that I felt was being generated because there wasn't the downtime, there wasn't the switch off. Mm. So I'm not sure there was anything we could have done about it at that time, but certainly when we got a bit of respite, there was a big campaign to make sure people took time out and took time off because we didn't, you know, we don't still know if, if surge two is going to come mm. in, in the way that uh, we saw with surge one. So getting people rested and prepared for what might come next was very important. Um, what other learnings? Uh, I, I think it's about reaching out to people individually across agencies. So when you're operating very fast and you're operating remotely and you don't know people, I think it is easy to misunderstand uh, their intent or what they want. So finding the time to have one-to-one -one conversations. Um, you know, there were certainly people who uh, I, I can I can look back and say, you know, I kind of really clashed with them when there were points of tension. And actually, when I picked up the phone and I had to one, a one-to-one -one conversation with them, we were able to unpick what was becoming a difficult situation and, and become affiliative in the way in which we worked. Well, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, every team, there is always somebody that you clash with. I don't, I don't think I've ever worked in a team where there haven't been differences of opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so normal. And I think especially when you're in a crisis and you're under pressure and and you're operating emotionally and under stress behavior um what what i'm hearing is that the sitting down and reaching out and having those one-to-one -one conversations helps you move move forward what what advice would you give to to other teams where there are differences of opinion and and clashes I think being able to foster those those one-to-one -one conversations where you're really deeply seeking the understanding of the other person's perspective, viewpoint, belief systems, you know, and I'm relating that to a problem or an issue as opposed to, you know, are you a Christian or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, when we have a task or a problem, I think we quite quickly get to a belief or a conviction about what that problem represents and how it should be tackled mm. and that we, we build that with the lens of our 
experience, don't we? Yeah. Um, and somebody else has got a completely different set of experiences and therefore it's unsurprising that they have a different lens through which they view it. And if you can have a healthy, open, authentic conversation, I think normally those things can be unpicked. Mm. But you have to both be prepared to ask and also hear. Um, and my one of my mantras uh, is that you know it's about getting to the right solution, not my solution. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm not precious about whether my solution or my ideas get sacrificed as long as out of that conversation we get to a better solution. Mm. Well, and I think that's the that's the the collaborative approach, isn't it? And I think that what you're speaking to is you, you make it sound so simple but it's the I think it's one of the main things that most teams struggle the most with is how do you how do you have the humility and the ability to have those very transparent open conversations where you seem to be completely polarized in in how you approach things and and I think when when you're doing when you're dealing with with a crisis let's face it, no, nobody has led through a crisis on, of this magnitude in this way before. So that we don't actually have the answers. There's, there's no process that you follow that says A plus B plus C means this is what happens. I mean, of, of course, I'm sure there are, there are processes surrounding the NHS, but there isn't, there isn't the finite detail of everything and nothing's binary in this level of uncertainty. So I think what you're speaking to is the importance of being able to sit down and work through and say, well, what, you know, what's your viewpoint and what's mine and how do we create something new that is a new solution that might not be, might not be yours. It might not be mine. It's just what we co-create. Yeah, absolutely. And not being afraid to reach out for help. Um, You know, one of the things I, ensure is that I put everybody's number in my phone (laughs) and when I have a problem uh, and an issue I will very quickly pick up the phone and call somebody and say this is the problem I've got this is what my thinking is do you agree and I will or or have you got a better solution (laughs) and invariably they have a better solution because I'm, you know, I'm not the expert across the organisation. Um, but I, I work with an awful lot of people who, you know, have a, a range of seniority in our business. But I will cut straight to the person who I think is at the, 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 the grassroots level because they will be able to tell me what the best way forward is. Um, and... I'm a firm believer that the answers to problems do not lie in the leaders of an organisation. The role of leaders in an organisation is to reach down to the people who do have the answers and to elicit them from them. So, you know, we are no more as leaders than a conductor in an orchestra. You know, we don't make those beautiful noises. (laughs) You know, we don't do that wonderful uh, harp solo or you know uh, we're not the violins creating that wonderful lilt um you know we we're the ones that 
pull that together mm. um but we are we are nothing without those people who are actually playing the instruments and and, and they do know how to do it best so it, it's about it's about getting everything pulled together um in a way and the people pull together to enable us to get to the answers that uh, that we need uh, and, and and you know the, the other thing i'd add is the customer you know the customer is phenomenally important and it was um one of the things that i tried to do through uh, the covid crisis you know i've got i've got customers with whom i have a relationship because i've been in the business on and off since 2005 um that i had an informal group of customers that when i had a really gnarly problem I would drop an email out and even do um, a, a Teams call and, and get them to give feedback on the thinking that we'd got to. And there were things that we completely jettisoned because of the feedback, which if we hadn't have had those consultations with those customers who didn't represent the entirety of the NHS, mm. but they were able to say, that's going to kill us. If you, if you, if you go down with this solution, it's, it's just not going to work for us. And, and we had to go back to the drawing board. So, you know, customer is phenomenally important in that sense because we only see how we operate into something, not how the customer then has to take what we've given them and manage it. Interesting. And yeah, and, and the challenge within that is how do you balance that collaborative approach, which takes in many ways takes more time because you're having to drop certain things in favour of others um and you're having to reach out to different people different stakeholders different ideas in some ways the collaborative approach takes longer but hopefully creates a better solution how how do you balance how do you balance all of that in a crisis where speed is of the essence um it, it is the having the mobile numbers in the phone and having you're know, very fortunate you know our customers uh, and certainly the ones that I know were very responsive. If, if they, they knew the job that we were all doing, um, they knew my role in it. And, you know, I was by no means leading the whole lot, you know, just to be clear on that, but they knew, they knew that I was very close and, and, and in that. So if they got a phone call from me, they would respond and um, either take the call immediately or uh, get back very quickly. So um, we were supported in our ability to collaborate um and but i would absolutely say we didn't do enough of it um that was part time um that was part about what we what we could and what we couldn't control um but definitely where we collaborated we got to a less worst result <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes we got to a good result yeah but um it, it was critical for us interesting what do you think people around you would say about you and your leadership style <laughs> um i'm i'm known for being very blunt and straight to the point um i'm not particularly nuanced in how i operate um so uh, I, I did a leadership course some time ago where one of the lessons was don't turn your traits into a uh, what's the word they use don't turn your traits into a 
uh, you know, something that is, a, is an asset. You know, you have to recognize your traits. So I'm always a little bit cautious about that because I, in some ways, I, 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 have, I pride myself on my straightforwardness, my bluntness and the fact that I can cut through. Um, but I do know that that can be quite bruising to be on the receiving end of. Mm -hmm. um, I do, I, you know, I do do the soft stuff. <laughs> Um, but I think if there is anything that keeps me awake at night beyond problems that we're trying to solve, it's when I feel that I have um, hurt or upset somebody or I haven't been empathetic enough. So, um, and, and uh, <laughs> I certainly have people in the office that um, I, I know that I've, I've probably been too harsh with and I've then dropped them an email to say really sorry I've been reflecting on the interaction we had in that meeting today and I think actually I need to apologize because you know I, 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 I could have been more um, subtle or you know whatever in my approach so it's really important for me that when I get that wrong um, whoever it is, however junior they, they are, um, and, I, and I'm probably more brutal upwards than downwards. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, for me, it's always very important that if I think I've got something wrong, that I apologise, whoever it is to. And I, and I try to take, you know, a learning as well. Well, it's about balance again, isn't it? I mean, the word balance just comes up for me all, all the time as you're speaking, because it, it sometimes in a, in a crisis, you, you haven't got time to... to find the right words or fluff around it, it that that being direct and being really clear is really required and sometimes if it's under stress it can come across as being brutal when it's not intended to be what what I'm hearing is you then balance that out with when when you with an awareness of when you've been too harsh or too blunt and you're recovering it I think my, my concern is always when people are blunt and direct and then they don't really care if they leave a trail of destruction. I think as long as, as, long as you clear up your mess, it's okay <laughs> to, to a point, isn't it? And I think as, as leaders, we're always looking for where, where is that? I, I always say leadership's a bit like a knife edge where we're, we're always a little bit too blunt or not blunt enough or, or too kind or too empathetic or not empathetic enough. And, it's actually really difficult to find it straight down the middle. And of course, every situation and every person requires a slight nuance of that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a whole bit about styles as well. I mean, I definitely, <laughs> definitely have people who, uh, you know, have a style um, that is very different to mine that I will struggle with. And I've, put quite a lot of work into finding a different way to interact with people who have different styles and to understand where they come from. My, my, my husband's a, um, a clinical director for a psychological therapy service. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's quite helpful when I, when I, when I have somebody who I, I, I'm having difficulty interacting with. Um, I do take that home and I will talk and invariably, you know, I will come away from that conversation with my husband who has reframed, <laughs> reframed my interactions and think, yep, yeah, okay, this is what I need to do differently. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm 50 this year um, and I'm very clear now 
it, it's not them, it's me. I'm the only person who can actually change the dynamic in an interaction. I can't wish somebody to be different or wish somebody to engage in a different way. I have to find a way in which I can make that engagement productive. Yeah, and I think it's it's so easy, isn't it, where there's always somebody in a team whose behaviour you want to change, and the only way to actually change that person's behaviour is to change your own, and that's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, you know, um, I think it was Claudio Ranieri, if I'm not pronouncing that properly, who used to be the, the Leicester football manager, and, you know, when he took on the club, he changed the formation of how Leicester City played, um, to meet how the players, you know, the players' skill set. And I think that's quite a lesson. Um, you know, if we take, we take a sporting analogy, hmm. um, you know, we, we might want people to um, be a certain way, but the reality is they are how they are. So, you know, how do we work with that and how do we get the best result? Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, 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 I took a lesson from football on that one. <laughs> mm. So do you think, do you think as, a, as a leader then, the ability to, to flex your style is, is one of the things that, that makes you effective? Um, do I flex my style? I'm not even, I try to flex my style. Um, probably people around me might say that I don't, but I think what I am is I am very transparent about my limitations and I will sit in meetings and I will say, you know, look guys, I know this is going to be a bit uncomfortable um, or I know you might want me to, oh, I, I said actually the other day, <laughs> there was a nuanced letter that's got to be written and I on a, on a team's call said, well, they're not going to be giving me that to write, are they? <laughs> um, and so what I try to do is I try to bear my soft spots to people and say, you know, look, yeah, I am leading this and there are certain things that I should be doing. But you know what? I'm not very good at that. So can you please just accommodate me? <laughs> well, and that's so, the collaborative approach again, isn't it? It's recognising that you can't be all things to all people, but you can build and lead a team that can, that can, do, that can do whatever is required. And, and if, if you haven't got people who can do what's required, what I'm hearing is you've probably got them in your mobile that can you know, on the end of the phone. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's also about giving um, other people responsibility to do things where they are better than you at, you know, whether it's a skill set or solving a particular part of a problem. So, you know, just because um, I'm in a meeting uh, and I might be the person who's got a leadership role in that meeting doesn't mean that I have to lead all bits of it because somebody else might have a better skill set suited for the task that we've got to accomplish. Mm. Um, so again, it's, it, it comes back to that sort of Leicester City um, uh, example of, you know, how do you use the players in your team? Yeah, and therein lies a brilliant question to leave us with. Rachel, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and flown by. Um, thanks again for asking me. The image I had talking to Rachel is that her mobile phone is like a brick full of phone numbers of people she can call on, no matter what the crisis is. 
Building and using the power of your network is underestimated, but Rachel recognises that she can't solve problems alone. And having that extended network literally in the palm of her hand enables her to make better decisions more collaboratively. I find it a comforting thought to know that in our mobile phones, we might just have the answers to all of the world's problems if we're open to reaching out to others. How willing are you to help others? How willing would they be to help you if you reached out to your network? And how might you develop your network in a more collaborative way? Somebody's life might just depend on it. That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. 